Well, good morning again, church. Glad to see you here this morning, and uh, glad to be able to open up God's Word. If you brought your Bible, we are in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and the guys will get one to your seat so you can follow along with us. Before we get to God's Word, I want to commend you husbands for showing up this morning that were here last week. Because you know, as you looked at the role of the wife last week, this week we're going to be looking at the role of the husband. So, kudos to you guys for showing up. Now, before we get to this, just a reminder, and I think we all know this, we need to be praying for our country We need to be praying for these cities that we see stuff going on, praying for our police officers, praying for our mayors, our governor, our president. We even need to be praying for the rioters to stop first and foremost, but more so to come to faith in Christ. Because the solution is the gospel. That's the solution, is knowing Jesus Christ. But this isn't going to distract us from what God has to say to us through a verse-by-verse study of the Word. So... We actually have two more studies after this morning in the book of Colossians. And then I'm going to do a special 4th of July study on the 5th of July. And just talk about how America lines up with biblical prophecy and what we see going on in the world today and where that all fits in. And then after that, about the second week in July, we're going to start the book of Revelation. And so I think it's a good thing. I mean, it seems appropriate. Timing is just right for that. And uh, and so we're going to be... That's what's ahead for us. So we'll be praying for that. And uh, But this morning, you guys might want to pray because uh, we're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. And the verse there says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. The title of my message this morning is God's Word to Husbands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your great love towards us. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together in person, to study your word, to have the fellowship that we have together. Lord, we ought want to pray for our country right now, just all the turmoil going on in it, Lord. We know the solution. It's easily seen, Lord, if people's hearts would just turn to you and turn from their sin, we would have revival in our land. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for the gospel to go forth. We pray, Father, for wisdom for all those in charge, the mayors, the governors, the president. Uh, Lord, we pray, as I've mentioned, we pray for the rioters to stop. We pray for them to come to faith in Christ. Uh, Lord, we just pray for peace in our land. Lord, bless our study, we pray now, as we look to your word, for your your word to uh, us as husbands. Bless our time together. We commit it to you. Father, we also pray if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to you, surrender their hearts to you, to be born again. Would you especially touch their heart today? Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you heard a few of these. They're called, That's When the Fight Started. They go like this. My wife sat down next to me as I was flipping through the channels. She asked, What's on TV? I said, Dust. And that's when the fight started. (laughs) My wife was hinting about what she wanted for our upcoming anniversary. She said, I want something shiny that goes from zero to 160 in about six seconds. I bought her a bathroom scale. (laughs) And that's when the fight started. I asked my wife, where do you want to go for our anniversary? 
It warmed my heart to see her face melt in sweet appreciation. Somewhere I haven't been in a long time, she said. So I suggested, how about the kitchen? And that's when the fight started. One more. I am brave. I took my wife to a restaurant. The waiter, for, for some reason, took my order first. I'll have the sirloin steak rare, please. He said, aren't you worried about mad cow? No, I said, she can order for herself. And that's when the fight started. That's when the fight started. You know, home used to be a sanctuary, a haven when one could retreat to find rest, understanding, and acceptance. More and more, however, home is becoming a war zone. We have replaced home sweet home signs with those that say, enter at your own risk. And I'd have to say, I would have to put most of the blame on we as husbands, as leaders of our families. There is, however, hope for husbands. God, God's Word gives husbands very clear commands. Two places specifically I want to look at this morning. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. And later on we're going to jump down to Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The common thread in Colossians 3.19 and Ephesians 5.25 is the fact that husbands, we are to love our wives. It's the command to love your wife at all times in all situations. See, I'm sure if you were to take a poll of people who were dissolving their marriages and ask them why, sooner or later you'd probably get around to hearing them say, well, we just lost the love in our relationship, or I guess we just fell out of love. So obviously love is a very important part in bringing a marriage together. I heard about a couple that were having marital problems, so they went to see a pastor, and after a few weeks and and a lot of questioning and, and counseling and listening to the pastor, the pastor said, I think I've discovered the main problem. He stood up from behind his desk, walked over to the front of his desk, asked the woman to stand up, and he gave her a hug. He turned to the husband and said to him, this is what your wife needs at least once a day. And the guy said, all right, what time do you want me to bring her back in the morning? And that's when the fight started. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives. Yet what exactly is this thing we call love that is the main ingredient in the marriage? What, What is this term that we use so often? According to Webster's Dictionary, it describes love as a warm attachment, a strong affection, and attraction based on sexual desire. Now, is that the kind of love that will last a lifetime? A warm attachment, a strong affection, and attraction based on sexual desire. Is that what real love is? Or the better question is, is that the kind of love that God commands us to have? Absolutely not. The love that God wants husbands to have towards their wives and wives towards their husband is more than just a mere feeling or a warm attachment. It's not simply a romantic notion. Rather, it's a radical, life-changing, lifelong pursuit. It's a commitment that we must learn how to love. In fact, love must be learned over and over again. There's no end to it. Now, that's just the opposite when it comes to hate. No one has to teach us to hate. 
It just comes naturally. Our old nature, we just get provoked and we see it. Look around our country today. We see it all over the place. That's something that comes natural. But learning to love, it's a lifelong pursuit. That doesn't happen overnight. I mean, think about when you first fell in love with someone. Maybe, like me, it was in elementary school. I was constantly falling in love with a different girl every week. But do you, do you remember when you first fell in love with your wife? You know, there was that excitement and that physical attraction to her. And then all those physical things that come along with that attached to love, like the butterflies in your stomach and the, the lightheadedness and, and being tongue-tied when you're around them and not having much of an appetite and, and talking to them on the phone all night long. And people say, well, that's the kind of love I want to have for a lifetime. Really? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would want to feel that way towards my wife every single day. I mean, I can't imagine 41 years of marriage going, oh, honey, I just don't know what to say. Uh, what's for breakfast? Oh, I don't even have an appetite. I, I didn't sleep at all last night thinking about you. I'm so lightheaded in love with you. My wife would say, Tom, it's your medication. Sit, sit down and eat, eat your breakfast. Why? Because our love changes throughout the years and we need to mature in love. Sure, it starts out with that initial attraction, but it needs to go beyond that. I mean, think about the first time you, you got your permit and you drove in the car when you first passed your driving test and you get in the car, okay, 10 and 2, oh, this is exciting, and, and you drive, I get to, to drive all the way across town, this is awesome. Now, how about today? Do you get in your car and go, oh, this is great. I get to drive all the way across. No. You don't think about it anymore. You just get in the car and drive. See, you can't expect to have that same initial excitement you experience for the rest of your life. And the same is true for marriage. You can't build your marriage on this initial attraction that brought you together, even though many try to do so. They want that emotion. They want that explosion that starts the love. They want the infatuation. They want the thrill. But you've got to grow beyond that and learn that there's more to love than just mere emotions. It's been said, love is not a passing emotion. It's a continual devotion. But tragically, there are couples that say, oh, we've, just, we've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. It's gone, gone, gone. Dun, 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 dun. You know the song. And tragically, some will move on to another relationship as if love was some mystical, tangible thing that you have no control over. And I'm saying to you this morning that you can have love that will last a lifetime if you simply apply these two principles. Colossians 3.19 Husband, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Two points in this one verse. One's a positive, one's a negative. The positive, husbands, love your wives. The negative, don't be bitter towards them. First principle, husbands, love your wives. It's a command to love your wife at all times, in all situations. Now, this was quite a statement from the Apostle Paul some 2,000 years ago because the role of the women in that culture in the ancient world was not very appealing. William Barclay, in his commentary, he writes this, In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go to marketing. She lived in the woman's apartments and did not join her menfolk even for meals. From her, there was, a demanded, there was demanded a complete servitude and chastity. 
But her husband can go out as much as he chose and can enter into as many relationships outside marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. Both under Jewish and under Greek laws and custom, all the privileges belong to the husband and all the duties to the wife. See, Christianity elevates and liberates women. Apostle Paul comes along and says, Husbands, love your wives. This was radical. And yet today we use the word love so loosely. It's hard to even know what it means anymore. The Greeks, they had various words for love. They had the word eros. It's where we get our word erotic from. And and, uh, it spoke of a physical attraction, a sexual love. They had the word phileo for love. It's where we get our English word, you know, Philadelphia from. It's a brotherly love. It spoke of friendship love between people. Then there's agape, which is the love that expects nothing in return. It's a love that's spoken of, that, that's being demonstrated from God himself. It's a word that we read frequently in the New Testament. So phileo uh, was a love on the emotional realm. Eros was a love in the physical realm. And agape is love on the spiritual realm. So there are these various types of love. Now all these play a part in the marriage relationship. Eros plays a part in marriage. You know, you're initially attracted to someone and it's not necessarily sexual. Maybe you saw your wife to be or your husband to be, you thought, now there's a good looking guy. Or there's a, a good looking girl. Maybe you had, you, you pick up lines. Hey babe, if you were a hamburger from McDonald's, you'd be McGorgeous. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's a couple of coronavirus pickup lines. You smell so good. Is that Perel that you're wearing? <laughs> How about this one? I'm just a boy standing seven feet away from a girl asking you to maybe move in a foot. <laughs> maybe you didn't use pickup lines, you know, when you met your wife. But, but there was that initial attraction. It's undeniable. There's nothing wrong with that. So there's this initial attraction, but there has to be more than that for a lasting relationship. Then once you're married, Eros continues to play a part in the marriage because there is that sexual union that God has created and that God will rightfully, only righteously satisfy in the marriage relationship. We're told in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. That's a biblical way of saying only have sexual relations with your wife. There's no other option. But there has to be more to love than this Eros type of love for a relationship to last. Because Eros love says, I want something for you. I want you to satisfy these desires that I have. And that's not wrong in itself, but you can't build a marriage on that. And if you're getting married only to satisfy sexual desire, then you're going to be in trouble. It'll do that, but there's got to be more. So there's arrows. But also there's phileo love that comes into play. Again, phileo is a friendship love, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, Phileo says, I love you, you love me. We're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? It's a Barney the Purple Dinosaur type of love. Phileo. In other words, you're saying, look, I'm giving you my love. I expect you to reciprocate. I expect you to love me. I'll do things for you, but you need to do things 
for me. And there's nothing wrong with that type of love. It's wonderful. Phileo love is a love that comes as a result of the pleasure I derive from the object that I am loving. In other words, I love you because you make me laugh. I love you because you're attractive. I love you because you do something for me. I like being around you. As I shared last week, you know, your wife, your husband should be your best friend, your biggest fan. Now, in contrast to these other types of love, there's the word agape. Agape says, I love you irregardless of what you do. I love you in spite of what you do for me. That's the kind of love that obviously we are reading about here when we're told husbands love your wives. It's not husbands eros your wife. It's not husbands phileo your wife. It's husbands agape your wife. And I think the reason many wives have a problem with the whole submission thing is that their husbands do not demonstrate that kind of agape love towards them. And again, I'm convinced that 95% of the submission problems would disappear if 100% of the husbands would learn to demonstrate this agape love towards their wives. I mean, what a stark contrast this love is compared to the world's version of love. The world's version of love is always object-oriented. A person is loved because of some physical attractiveness or talent or personality or wit or prestige or some, some feature we find appealing. But God says you need a deeper love than that. Because as time passes, as, as, as you know, that, that beautiful wife, that handsome husband is going to grow older, and they're not going to be quite as attractive as they were when you first married them. But agape love, a love that expects nothing in return, that type of love will continue to honor that commitment year after year after year. Agape love is a love of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Listen to, to, to the love you and I should have, you should have for your spouse. We're to have for each other. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. It says this in the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no record of when it has been wrong. It is never glad about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and love will last forever. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. Is that the kind of love that you have for your spouse? I mean, for the husband to love his wife means that next to Jesus, he's the most important person in his life. Chaplain Peter Marshall said this, and I quote, We are souls living in bodies. Therefore, when we really fall in love, it isn't just physical attraction. If it is just that, it won't last. Ideally, it's also spiritual attraction. God has opened our eyes and let us see into someone's soul. We have fallen in love with the inner person. The person is going to live forever. That's why God is the greatest asset to romance. He thought it up in the first place. Include him in every part of your marriage. And he will lift it above the level of the mundane to something rare and beautiful and lasting. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, God said way back in the garden, Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Husbands are not to let anything or anyone come between them and their wives. And the same way for the wife, you're not to let anything or anyone come between you and your husband. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we have an obligation to love one another. Romans 13.8 let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man 
has fulfilled the law. So loving one another is not an option. It's, a, it's an obligation that must be paid just like your house payment, just like your car payment. In this case, God is demanding payment from us. And if you neglect and you refuse to make that payment, He's going to hold you accountable. And what happens over time, if you neglect your obligation to love one another long enough, you'll begin to accrue a huge emotional and relational debt. You'll become like a man running from his creditors. You'll avoid people and situations that will confront you with your lack of love. You may change where you sit in a church. You may even decide to change churches altogether. You may stop socializing together. Not because of social distancing, but because you don't want to run into someone and have to face the obligation of loving someone who has sinned against you or you, whom you have sinned against. It's called a root of bitterness. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3.19, Husband, love your wife. That's a positive. But the, the negative, do not be bitter towards them. And that's principle number two for godly marriage. Do not be bitter against them. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us in, in, about bitterness in Hebrews twelve fifteen. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. He's describing the end of a heart that's giving, given over to bitterness. Basically, it's emotional bankruptcy. To be bitter is to forsake God's grace, and as a consequence... The writer says you become troubled and defiled. See, at first you become estranged from the person, but eventually you move away from God and you become estranged from God. And it doesn't happen quickly, but rather slowly. It's an erosive thing, a a subtle deterioration, a tragic degeneration, because it happens almost unnoticeably. And it's important to address because bitterness at its root begins with a lack of love for one another. And then left unchecked, Hebrews said it will spread and it will defile your whole being. That Greek word for defile there means to dye like a piece of material with another color, to stain, to pollute, to contaminate, or to soil. It pictures our white robes of righteousness becoming marred by stain. And let me tell you, bitterness is a terrible distraction and detraction to our lives in Christ, not to mention our marriages. So we need to confess it. Because bitterness destroys marriages. But see, it all comes back down to the first principle. Husbands, love your wives. How do we do that? Well, turn with me now in your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We really can't talk about husbands loving your wives unless we look to the book of Ephesians. Paul just puts it differently over here and it's a great insight. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. 
Guys, listen, there's no getting away from this. You've got to love your wife. And Paul here says, as Christ loved the church. Again, you show me a marriage that's falling apart, and in almost every case, I can guarantee you that there's a husband who's not loving his wife as he ought to. I'm not suggesting that if every husband loved his wife the way they, they, they should, that there'd never be another divorce, another split up. But I would say there'd be a whole lot less divorces. Divorce would be a rarity. Man, if you simply do your part, in most cases, the wife will do hers. And if you're the lover of Christ of the church, she would respond in kind. And the reason I say that is, look at us. I mean, why are we Christians today? Why did we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus loved us unconditionally. He accepted us where we were at and began to transform and to change us. But it was His love towards us that, that wore down our rebellion. It wore down our resistance. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. So our submission to Christ today is a result of God's love towards us because we've come to see that His plans for us are good. We've come to see that if God calls us to do something that that we don't really want to, we know that it's for our own benefit, that God has only our good in mind. So we surrender to Him. You see, it's difficult at times that we do because His love won us over. And the same can be true in marriage. If that wife can be confident that you have her very best interest at heart, if she could see that you love her so deeply and so intently and that you're looking out for her best welfare, it'd be far easier for her to submit to you as unto the Lord if you loved her as Christ of the church. Now, what does this actually mean to love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it? Well, if you're taking notes, I want to point out four aspects of Christ's love that we're to have towards our wives. Now, if you've been here a while, if you've been here six and a half years ago in our study in Ephesians, we looked at these, but man, these are timely truths and we need to look at these things again and apply them to our lives and they're worth repeating. Four aspects of Christ's love that we're to have for our wives. Number one, a sacrificial love. Number two, a sanctifying love. Number three, an affectionate love. And number four, an unbreakable love. Number one, a sacrificial love. Notice verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church? Understand, Christ died for his church. Christ bled for his church. Christ suffered for his church. Christ agonized for his church. And now, man of God, it's your turn. You say, oh, Tom... Bleed, suffer, die. You're describing my marriage perfectly. No, understand what God is saying through the Apostle Paul here. It's bleed, it's suffer, it's die to yourself. You see, self is the problem here. The problem's you. The problem's me. You like yourself too much. I like myself very much. In fact, you like you more than anyone else. We're all the same way. You know, I am thinking of me. Where am I going to eat this afternoon? What am I going to eat this afternoon? I'm not really concerned about what you're going to eat this afternoon. I'm only concerned about what I'm going to eat this afternoon. If they run out of food for you, well, too bad. I got my food. Oh, well. As long as I'm happy. See, that's why we need to die, to bleed, to suffer, to die to myself. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for me. He gave himself for me. He went to the cross for me. That means if I'm to love my wife as Christ of the church, I'll love her to the point where I die to my own dreams. I'll die to my own desires. 
I'll, I'll die to my own wishes. In other words, I'll love her to death. Yet wives are to live for their husbands, but husbands are to lovingly die for their wives. The perfect example of what Jesus did for us is found in Philippians 2, verse 5 and 8. You don't need to turn there, but he says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Jesus willingly gave himself. He sacrificed his life for the church. Then surely I can make those sacrifices in my life to let my wife know just how much I love her. If you want to find out if you love your wife as Christ loved the church, then ask yourself the question, would Jesus do this for his church? Would Jesus speak unlovingly? To his church? Would Jesus put his own welfare ahead of the welfare of his church? Would Jesus take his precious church for granted? Would Jesus see a need in his church without trying to meet that need? Would Jesus turn his back on the church because the church continually nags him? Husbands, do you love your wife sacrificially? Then show her. Secondly, your love should be a sanctifying love. Look at verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. blemish. Jesus' sacrificial death was to save and sanctify the church. Christ's love for us has a goal. It's to sanctify us. The, The husband's goal is to sanctify his wife. The word sanctify means to to be set apart, to be holy. Understand that the church is not perfect and neither is your wife. And a husband's love should sanctify his wife. Is your wife more like Jesus because of you or in spite of you? Well, how's that accomplished? Verse 26 tells us, by the washing of water by the word. Our God washes us as we spend time into his word. He irons out the wrinkles. He takes out the blemishes as we continue to walk with Him. And so in so doing, Jesus says, I know my bride is not perfect, but I'm going to work on her and in her and that she might be sanctified and made beautiful by the washing of my Word. You see, if you don't like your wife, then according to God's Word, it's because you've been a miserable husband. 1 Corinthians 11.7 tells us the woman is the glory of man. That word glory is the word Reflection. If I look at my wife and I don't like what I see, it's because I'm seeing the reflection of my own failure. And you who say, well, I just don't like my wife. Well, when was the last time you washed her in the water of the Word? When was the last time you opened up the Bible with her? When was the last time you humbled yourself before the Lord and prayed with her? As we've looked at the last couple of weeks, Colossians 3.16, we're instructed to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Because true love has a sanctifying purpose to help your partner grow deeper in spiritual roots. Because if you truly love your wife, then your relationship will be centered upon God. It will be centered upon His Word. You, your wife, and God's Word. If you want to make sure you love your wife as Christ loved the church, then you must have God's Word at the center of your life. You've got to know what, what God's Word says. 
This brings us to the third type of love we see in Ephesians 5. It's called an affectionate love. Look at verses 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Again, contrary to what the the world says, the society says, the Bible declares we don't have to be taught to love ourselves. We already do that. And God's word tells us we're to care for our wives as we do our own self. How? By nourishing her and cherishing her. That word nourish there means to feed, and the word cherish implies to warm with body heat. So the twin responsibilities that we as husbands have for our wives, nourishing, providing for her needs so as to help her mature in Christ, and cherishing her, which is to provide warm and tender affection, to give her comfort and security. In other words, show her affection. Tell her you love her. There's a story from a Reader's Digest of two neighbors who were having coffee. You know, said one, I was telling my husband that even after 20 years of marriage, your husband is still such a gentleman. I always see him get out of the car, walk around to your side and open the door for you. Well, said my friend, what you don't know is that every time he does, he says he's going to have to fix that blasted door handle if it's the last thing he does. Man, we need to show our wives that we love them. Because I know that's not always easy for you and me. But yeah, I, sometimes I think we as men are, are misrepresented. People say, oh, women are so emotional and, and touchy-feely and men were just kind of hard and reserved. That's really not true. We really are emotional and we experience a wide range of emotions. In many cases, we just suppress it. That's all. We don't want you to know what we're always feeling. You know, you go to a movie and, and the wife is just crying over the this, this scenes without any embarrassment and the guy, you were just sitting there, you know, all stoic, but actually... We're choking it down. I can't believe it. Don't, don't cry. Don't cry. Just allergies or something going on right now. See, many cases, depending on the woman, it's easier for them expressing their feelings to say to her husband, Honey, I love you. It's not that the guy doesn't love you. He just has a hard time saying it. He might look at you and say, Boy, I really love her. Oh, she's just the best. The fact of the matter is he'd die for you. Most cases, I have to qualify those statements. Not every guy would, but, but most husbands would. They'd die for you. But you say, but, but he never tells me that he loves me. Well, he probably does, and, you, and he needs to work on that. And you men, you really need to express this to your wife. Just say, I love you. And I might add, without wanting anything in return, no strings attached. And as corny as it may sound, guys, flowers still work. Dark chocolate for my wife, works. Just an unexpected little gift, something that they weren't planning on. You come home and say, I just want to tell you how much I love you and I care about you. Guys, it's so very important. You know, also, a hug and a kiss can go a long way. I read an article in the newspaper about a group of researchers that included psychologists, physicians, insurance companies. They cooperated in this research project designed to find the secret to long life and success And they came up with a surprising discovery. They said, if you want to live a long life, here's the secret. Kiss your wife each morning when you leave for work. They were amazed at the findings. They found that guys that kiss their wives each and every morning uh, live longer lives than those who did not. They found that men who would kiss their wife had fewer automobile accidents on their way to work. 
the men who omitted the morning kiss. The morning kissers miss less work than non-kissers, and they earn 20 to 30% more than non-kissers. When was the last time you kissed your wife and said, I just love you? Tell your wife you love her today. Give her a hug. Give her a kiss. You'll live longer, according to that study. Oh, she knows that I love her. Yeah, but when was the last time you told her without her telling you first? Tell her she looks pretty without her asking, do I look pretty? Proverbs 31 says of Proverbs 31 of the Proverbs 31 woman that her husband praises her in the city gates. I encourage you, spend time with her. Romance her. Nourish her physically by taking her out for dinner without the kids. Just you and her go out. Another way to express your love towards her is to speak to her in a gentle and respectful way. It's been said, I didn't say it, but it's been said, treat her like a thoroughbred and she won't turn into an old nag. There's some truth in that. Express your love by refusing to compare her unfavorably with other women. Express your love for her by assisting her with her chores and responsibilities. Allow your wife to share in your life. Don't shut her out of your life. Martin Luther put it this way. Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. One last thing when it comes to an affectionate love and sexual intimacy, and I shared this last week. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 and 4. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Sexual intimacy in a marriage relationship is all about the other person. It's about the needs and the cares of your spouse. See, affectionate love also implies that each spouse must give the highest priority to the needs, the feelings, the desires, and the preferences of their spouse. In other words, mutual consent is basic to all healthy sexual expression in a marriage relationship. What's best for your spouse? If she's tired and she's worked all day watching your kids, respect that. If he's tired and worked all day supporting your family, respect that. You see, it's all about the needs and cares of your spouse. It's not about you. In fact, it's all about respect and humility. It's essential in a human relationship, especially in marriage. And let me say this, marital sex is part of a healthy relationship. It's a a picture of the intimacy that we have with God and that that oneness we should have with Him. Therefore, sexual intimacy in marriage should never be manipulated for the sake of one partner's personal pleasure. It should never be withheld except for medical or physical or spiritual reasons. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And while we're on the subject, let me bring one more point up. It's never okay to bring anything unbiblical into the bedroom between a husband and a wife. In other words, pornography is still a sin and there's no justification for couples watching porn. But we're married. Isn't it okay? No, it's not. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Finally, number four, the love we're to have to our wife should be an unbreakable love. 
an unbreakable love. Drop down to verse 31 to 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Listen to what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A husband and a wife centered around Christ, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Do you want to have a strong marriage, an unbreakable love for each other? Then set your hearts towards heaven. Follow these principles as laid, as laid out for us in God's Word. And you'll have a strong marriage. I want to add one more thing, and then we can close with this. It's First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You don't need to turn there, but this is what Peter writes. He says, Husbands, Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're noticing a dryness in your walk with the Lord, if you're feeling that your prayers are not getting any higher than the ceiling, then I suggest to you that there could be something going on in your home. Something's happening, something's wrong at the house. Because our Heavenly Father will not let us keep going through this life going about our business, if things are not right within our families. Because if our faith doesn't work at home, it's not going to work anyplace else. Husbands, more than success in ministry, more than professional praise, more than material wealth, God wants you to experience the joy of seeing your wife as being heirs together of the grace of life. He wants to see your kids growing up and serving the Lord wholeheartedly. And to that, He'll stop at nothing to make sure your priorities are in order. So I would encourage you, you husbands this morning, if you want an effective prayer life, love your wives, be not bitter towards them, and give yourself for them just as Christ has given himself to the church. How did God show us his love? By sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. Greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. He did that first. He laid his life down for us to forgive us so we could have a second chance in life. There might be some of you here that maybe you don't have a relationship with God. And if you want to have a strong marriage, you have to start with a strong relationship with God. It's sort of like a triangle. Think of God as, as the top of the triangle and men on one side and women on the other. As they seek to grow closer to the Lord, they're going to grow closer together to one another. As they get away from the Lord, there's more distance between them. So the very first thing in your marriage relationship is make sure you're right with God. If you are single, first find contentment in your relationship with God. I mean, God is your husband, your maker. Listen, no man, no woman is going to meet all your needs. Only God can do that. That we are all separated from Him by our sin, but if we turn from that sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, He'll forgive us. No matter who you are, single, married, Whoever you are, if you haven't started there, that's ground zero. Make sure you have that right relationship with the Lord. And as soon as service is over, if you want to come to, to, to Christ, 
I'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible, let you know what it means to follow Christ. Come up and, and see me afterwards, and we'll pray. Finally, one last quote from J.R. Miller in his book called The Home Beautiful. Uh, we'll close with this. He writes this. When a man offers his hand in marriage to a woman, he says by his act that his heart has made a choice of her among all women, that he has for her a deeper and tender affection than for any other. At the marriage altar, he solemnly pledges to her a continuance of that love until death. When the beauty has faded from her face and the luster from her eyes, when old age has brought wrinkles or when sickness, care, or sorrow has left marks of wasting or marring, the faithful husband's love is to remain deep and true as ever. His heart is still to choose his wife among all women and to find its truest delight in her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, why were you yet sinners? Your word says Christ died for us. And Lord, I know that as Christian married couples, we're still just two sinners living together. And there's going to be conflicts. There's going to be uh, things that, that we're not always going to get along, Lord. But help us to follow your word to us. Apply these truths in our lives this morning that we might have marriages that bring you glory, that we may have lives that bring you glory in all that we do. And again, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to you, I pray that they would not leave here without making that commitment. Lord, bless our marriages. Give us wisdom. Draw us closer to you that we might be drawn closer together to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.